0: Hello, and welcome to The Goldmine, where you can find new investment insights from your favorite financial writers every day. Hi, I'm Barry Ritholtz, and this is How to Manage Your Investments Late in the Cycle. Live long enough to see several complete market cycles and patterns emerge. Denial and disbelief turn into reluctance and acceptance, as stocks go from being far too cheap to far beyond fair value. Those who lash themselves to the mass to avoid the siren call of the bulls miss a money-making opportunity as a speculative frenzy intensifies. When the crash belatedly arrives and blood flows in the streets, most will be too terrified to buy. Instead, they double down on their bearish bets and miss a generational buying opportunity. This rinse, lather, repeat cycle of market history is filled with epic stock narratives. At least, that's been my experience having lived through several of these cycles. A couple of the more recognizable narratives in recent history include the dot-com boom of the late 90s, real estate in the 2000s, blockchain in the 2010s. What makes them so fascinating is the underlying human psychology. I'm on record as being constructive on the markets here, mostly due to historically low interest rates and a giant fiscal stimulus, plus a 30% market reset early in 2020, and here we are with the distribution of vaccines to combat the pandemic. But I also recognize that there are more than a few signs that this market is, choose your favorite cliche, long in the tooth, late in the game, getting toppy, full-blown bubblicious. For those of you who may be worried about the goings-on in markets, the following observations might be useful, assuming some smart people who say a crash is nigh are correct. But I don't necessarily buy into that, and that's why my favorite sort of advice is the kind that is useful regardless of whether the bulls or bears are right. Start with rotation. No, not the obvious rotation from large cap growth companies into small cap value or from US equities into developed ex US or emerging markets. Rather, I want to talk about a totally different type of rotation, simply taking some chips off the table to be redeployed elsewhere. I saw this rotation in the mid 1990s when I was a young market trader and budding strategist. My vivid recollection of the time 20 something years ago was being directed by clients to roll out of some of their high-flying names, like EMC, Dell, Cisco, Qualcomm, and Yahoo, and then please send us the cash. These investors then redeployed those winnings to other assets, most memorable being real estate. Mortgage rates in the 1990s were low compared to the 70s, but nothing like what's available today. These were not people taking out the 2000-era home equity lines of credit or doing a cash-out mortgage refi to pay for a vacation or a flat-screen TV. Rather, these were investors who simply sold some enormously appreciated stock to, quote, ring the register, unquote, locking in a percentage of gains. Hey, I'm a curious guy. I always ask, what are your plans for the cash? More often than not, people were thrilled to discuss their plans. I was told in great detail about buying a beach house or a vacation property or trading up, to a bigger house, a nicer neighborhood, maybe a water view. Some of these deals were all cash. Many were financed with a large down payment and a very manageable mortgage. Before you rush out to the S&P Case-Shiller Housing Index to see how well those trades did versus the NASDAQ 100 or S&P 500, I have to go to William Bruce Cameron's observation. Quote, not everything that counts can be counted, and not everything that can be counted counts. Meaning, you can't measure the non-monetary benefits of certain assets. Those real estate purchases improved people's life satisfaction. If you're sitting on some huge gains in individual stocks, consider what doing something similar might mean to you. Number two, investing for the next cycle. Can you imagine the fortitude it required to make equity purchases in the 1970s? Not only did stocks go nowhere when measured from the start of the decade, but they actively lost real value due to inflation. Once the 80s bull market came along, these holdings took off and more than recovered. Those who made what looked like terribly timed buys in the 1970s turned out to look rather brilliant 20 years later. Anyone who bought securities tied to broad indexes or mutual funds in pick a year, 1998, 99, 2000, They didn't break even for more than a decade. And then suddenly, in the 2010s, when the next bull cycle began, those holdings exploded higher. So this raises a question. Assuming you're more than 10 years away from retirement, how do you feel knowing that some of your purchases might be underwater for the next, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years? If you're comfortable with a long holding period where maybe your gains are flat to negative, well, then you should feel free to back up the proverbial truck. That's especially true if you're continuing to work, continuing to dollar cost averaging your purchases into your 401k, your IRA, your personal portfolio, regardless of what downturn the market may encounter. Again, let me point out, I am constructive on equities at the moment. But a correction of some depth in 2021 certainly should not come as a surprise. I've been in this long enough to know. What many people don't realize is when we say long-term, what we actually mean is multiple market cycles. And finally, don't fear capital gains taxes. I offer you this reminder. There is only one surefire way to never pay capital gains taxes— And that's to make sure you never have a capital gain. I mentioned Qualcomm earlier. Consider the stock. It did nothing in the 1990s, mostly meandering sideways, when suddenly it exploded 30-fold higher in 1999. The expectation was that mobile was going to be a huge game-changer in the 2000s, and Qualcomm was the perfectly positioned semiconductor company to take advantage of it. But 30 times in a year? That's crazy. I remember conversations with investors with large holdings of Qualcomm who did not want to pay the giant tax on that massive capital gain appreciation they enjoyed that year. They refused to sell. Because of that unwillingness to pay capital gains near that giant top, well, it took them 21 years to regain that top after the share subsequently collapsed. So when is it ever a good time to pay capital gains taxes? beyond sudden windfalls, consider, number one, anytime you can match the gains with losses, you're taxed on net gains and those losses carry forward. That's a good time to pay capital gains tax. Two, if you're planning on moving to a high tax state, Most people are going the opposite direction. They're leaving California for Arizona and Texas. The people who are leaving New York are going to the Carolinas and Florida. Hey, but someone's coming in and buying those condos. Someone's taking their place. New York has an 8.82% marginal capital gains tax rate. So it makes sense to sell appreciated stock prior to moving to the state. Conversely, it also pays to defer those sales if your move is to a low or no state income tax state. Florida, Texas, Arizona, wait until you complete the relocation to do the sale. Maybe the market tops out here. Maybe it runs another three, five, seven years. Nobody knows. Regardless, this advice is worth considering no matter what the future brings. For more from me, check out The Big Picture at Ritholtz.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is brought to you by Ritholtz Wealth Management. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities mentioned on this podcast. If you're new to investing, check out liftoffinvest.com to get started with us today. So-